Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's May 16th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by the editor-in-chief of the Weekly Standard, Stephen Hayes. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Hey, Charlie. How are you? Well, let's talk about um, what the North Koreans are up to. Um, Apparently, would it be safe to say that uh, the Nobel Peace Prize for Donald Trump needs to be on hold, at least temporarily? We should just put it on ice. I mean, I thought it was premature uh, when people were trying to uh, award him the prize uh, a couple of weeks ago because he'd had some talks with Kim Jong-un and, and the administration had uh, reached tentative plans to hold a summit um, and then later uh, was able to win the freedom of three political detainees. Um, the, the detainees are, are were an achievement, but the rest of the stuff is just talk. And as we've seen with the North Koreans over the past 30 years, just talk is often just talk with the North Koreans. All right. So wh- why, why are they, they pulling back or making this threat right now? Um, what has changed? They, they knew, didn't they, that there were going to be these military exercises. That's not a surprise. Correct. That was something that was was baked in. What triggered the statements yesterday? Yeah, well, you'll, you'll remember that the South Korean ambassador, when the Trump administration, they first briefed the president about the possibility of this meeting at the White House. And the president said, well, let's go announce it. Uh, the president ducked his head into the press briefing room and said, we, we've got a big announcement coming. He pushed the South Korean ambassador out on the White House driveway to make the announcement. The South Korean um, ambassador at that time said that the North Koreans fully mm-hmm. understood that these military exercises would keep happening. So this is absolutely nothing new. It's a bit of gamesmanship, I think. This is the North Koreans trying to negotiate. I think perhaps one of the reasons that they did this now was because they saw President Trump appearing to fold um, mm. or at least take a step back back in these discussions with China over ZTE, which is this maker of telecom equipment, including, I think, the fourth or fifth biggest maker of phones here in the United States. The president tweeted after the Commerce Department last month uh, went after ZTE uh, for violating sanctions on North Korea and Iran, uh, seeming to to punish them and, and potentially even put them out of business. The president tweeted on Sunday that the United States was going to take another look because he was concerned about the loss of jobs in China. China. And that's a pretty big concession that the president would even say that. Now, the president's defenders will say, well, he didn't actually do anything, but I consider tweeting about it doing something. I think that sends a pretty strong message. And I think perhaps the the North Koreans who have been meeting uh, regularly with the Chinese about these talks saw an opportunity, saw a moment of weakness and decided to press their advantage. The uh, the conventional wisdom seems to be that the North Koreans will not go so far as to actually cancel this summit, but they they clearly have changed the ground rules uh, because now you have to have the Trump administration back down on at least a couple of things that they had appeared to characterize as they didn't say red lines, but it appeared to say were the bottom lines, like the denuclearization, which is now off the the, the table. So what what is what is your sense? Uh, how much at risk is the is the Singapore summit? Well, look, the the administration, the Trump administration, um, particularly the the spokesman for the White House, uh, Mike Pompeo, John Bolton, and others, have made clear that denuclearization is the objective here. That is the objective. Full stop. Um, you can add qualifications to it. You can dress it up however you want. 
denuclearization was the reason that the United States was willing to engage in the talks. If the North Koreans are now saying that they are not willing to denuclearize, there's no reason to have the talks. If the president goes ahead Correct. with these talks after the North Koreans have declared that they're not willing to denuclearize, uh, he that that is a massive step back and I think would create uh, huge problems, not just with respect to North Korea and the ongoing diplomacy there, but with the way that the rest of the world looks at, at Donald Trump and, and his ability to keep his word. Now, I would say, as somebody who's often critical of the president, he's coming off two, uh, two major steps where he has communicated to the world that he intends to keep his word. The first is pulling out of the Iran deal, which is something mm-hmm. the president said in March of 2016 in a speech before APAC here in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., said it was the worst deal. He was going to rip it up. The second was moving the embassy to Jerusalem. The president did that. He took some grief for it. Um, I think it was a good move. He's gotten some um, some pats on the back, both from Republicans and Democrats here in the United States. And I think he set the, the, the expectation that when he says something that he means or believes or has campaigned on, at least in this world, uh, that he's going to follow through. If he takes this step back after having uh, said that this was about denuclearization and, and that he was willing to walk away, mm-hmm. I think he does tremendous damage to that the sense uh, that he have, was, was maybe building some credibility after those other two decisions. No, I, 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 think, I think that's exactly right, which is, of course, why so many people in, in, the, foreign, um, in, in, the, in the foreign policy world had cautioned him against jumping so quickly for this kind of a, of a summit because he had been raising the expectations rather dramatically and publicly. You know, the reports that this was going to be the one issue that would save Republicans in the midterm, um, yeah. the speculation about the Nobel Peace Prize, saying that this was going to be a beautiful moment. Uh, the higher he raised the expectations, the more difficult he made it to walk away and the more leverage that the North Koreans exactly. uh, had, which, of course, now they're exercising. And as a lot of people have pointed out over the last 24 hours, this is, you know, uh, although you, m- you might want to say that, uh, you know, that, that Kim Jong-un is erratic, this, in fact, is rather consistent uh, with the pattern of North Korean diplomacy, isn't it? Th- this, in fact, was somewhat predictable. I think it was predictable. I mean, it's one of the reasons that we have as an uh, institution editorially expressed some concerns about even taking the meeting, which we thought was not a good idea. And then upon taking the meeting, uh, expectations about where it would go, um, which we had low expectations about that. Look, I mean, this is not only consistent from the North Korea side, this is also consistent with Donald Trump's behavior in other areas. Um, When this was first announced, I wrote a, a column talking about the president's eagerness to declare victory before victory was at hand. And we'd seen him do this. We've seen him do this on health care. Remember, he held uh, a, a celebration in the Rose Garden full with a, a jazz band and Republicans in the House arrayed behind him when the president said, in effect, because the House of Representatives had passed uh, this semi-repeal of Obamacare, that that meant Obamacare was likely dead. And he cautioned and said, you know, Senate's still got to have work. But it was a vi- the, the point of the celebration was to um, announce the victory and get some attention for, for the victory. It turned out, obviously, not to be a victory. He's done the same thing, I fear, on ISIS, where he's declared that ISIS is, in effect, dead. And that uh, because we've seized back so much of the territory that ISIS once controlled in Iraq and Syria, that the group is really not much to worry about. 
any longer. I think that's going to come back to bite him. My concern at the time was that the president would take small steps, little positive developments, and declare victory. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I think that's what he's done. Now, he has at times also said, you know, we're willing to walk away and, you know, we we aren't being played as a sucker. Um, But I think the, the broader pronouncements and the fact that he was out publicly talking about how everyone thinks he should get the Nobel Peace Prize in response to a question. And, you know, the the comments that he made uh, on the tarmac when he welcomed back the three detainees, and he predicted a, quote, very big success Mm -hmm. on North Korea because he said he believed Kim Jong-un had fundamentally changed his his way of viewing this and that that Kim Jong-un wanted a path back to the real world was the way that the president described it. Uh, you know, there, there were lots and lots of reasons to be skeptical. I would say 30 years of reasons to be skeptical of that. Um, and I, I have to give you credit. You actually made me look up a new word today, um, which I'm going to try to pronounce now. Is it uh, apophysis? Yes, yes. Apophysis? And there's a synonym, so, so, parallel. So, so define it for our listeners <laughs> and, 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 the, and the context in which it was used today. Well, the, the, the president, when he was asked a question by reporters at a pool, uh, a pooled um, meeting last week, was asked about this Nobel Peace Prize, and he, and he said, um, well, I'm not saying that I deserve a, a Nobel Peace Prize, but everybody else is saying, you know, I'm not going to say that. Everybody else is saying that. And then uh, apophysis or paralepsis is when you deliberately announce that you're not going to say something, which if, has the effect, of course, of saying it and amplifying it. And, yeah, the cl- classic example would be, I shall not mention Caesar's avarice, nor his cunning, nor right, his morality. Right, exactly. I will not be talking about these I won't things. T- Talk about my yes. Politi- politicians do this all the time. I won't talk about how my opponents likes young children uh, because because that's beneath me. And then all of a sudden, everybody's talking about that is an outstandingly it. useful word for the age of Trump. So I'm I am grateful. Uh, something else you <laughs> tweeted out about uh, this morning was the decision by the White House to eliminate the position of cybersecurity czar, which seems like an odd decision. After one of the greatest cyber attacks that we've seen in some time and with all the warnings that uh, that the worst is yet to come. Yeah, it's I mean, it is a um, it, cyber is is a, a chronically undercovered um, threat area for the United States. Um, it, it's not a sexy area in, in the way that missiles and nukes are. Um, it doesn't get the kind of attention that jihadist attacks either here in the United States or or in the in, in Europe and in, in the West get. But the extent to which we are being owned in the cyber sphere right now, primarily by China and Russia, to a certain extent by Iran and North Korea, is deeply troubling. And you talk to people who work in this area and, and you know, this is one of those moments where they have their hair on fire about it and are running around trying to, to you know, sh- shake you, grab you, shake you by the lapel so you pay attention to what's going on. And the public at large generally doesn't treat it as the crisis that I think that it is. And, you know, we'll wait to see what the White House's broader explanation of this decision is. Um, you know, maybe they've got just a, in, in mind a different kind of, uh, of reorganization and, and um taking the same kinds of resources and and just um, using them differently. But I think it sends an unfortunate signal that that this position is, in effect, being eliminated at the White House. It was the top coordinating position in the U.S. government on this question of cyber. And and it's it's, it's an acute problem. 
Okay, uh, John McCain and uh, Donald Trump, you have a piece up at the Weekly Standard right now by Jenna Lippitz um, about what happened last night, uh, this, this this dinner, the, the annual Freedom Award dinner um, sponsored by the, uh, what is it, the Institute for Republican... What is, what is the name of it? I yeah, actually, the International Republican Institute. Yeah, International Republican Institute, where it was one tribute after another and really struck by what uh, Defense Secretary Jim Madison, who won one of the Freedom Awards, said uh, that... He is a giant in my mind of American public life. He leads steadfastly. Nothing can diminish him. He steadfastly represents the best of our country. And it went on and on and on. Tributes from from Nikki Haley. Rather sharp contrast to the way that Donald Trump uh, has talked about John McCain, treated John McCain, and what's going on right now in in the White House. What's not going on in the White House? Yeah, it it sure was. I mean, Jenna, I think captured the spirit of of the evening. I was not there, um, but I've been at these kinds of dinners in the past. John McCain has long been affiliated with IRI and and has served as as chairman. And uh, I emceed a dinner uh, that he spoke at a, a few years ago. Um, you know, it, it's basically for Republicans who believe in international engagement, for, believe in, in multilateralism, even if we have some questions about the kinds of of institutions that, that might be uh, responsible for that uh, multilateralism and that, that broader engagement. Um, it's just an unfortunate, this is just an unfortunate uh, series of events that, that the White House has taken shots at, at John McCain, the way that they've taken shots at John McCain. Um, the, the unwillingness to apologize for something that pretty clearly requires an apology. It's, I, I just, it's a mentality I don't understand. I mean, I've had my differences with John McCain. I, sure. I, I covered him in 2000. I covered him in 2008. I covered him, uh, in the Senate. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with him. I've interviewed him n- numerous times over the years. We had big fights about, um, the, the utility of the Tea Party. I was sort of more uh, favorably disposed to the Tea Party and those kinds of conservatives than than McCain was. Um, but, you know, he is an American hero. The things that he has done, that he's re- received such a claim for, um, he's received that acclaim for a reason. Uh, he has the reputation he does for a reason. And the fact that, you know, in the, in the twilight of his life, you're watching a public debate where people are taking shots at him and claiming that he wasn't a hero and, and you know, wishing for him to pass sooner. It's just is the whole thing is just such a poor reflection on the state of our public public debate here in the country. What did you think about the fact that uh, the president went to meet with Senate Republicans at their at their luncheon and not one member of the Senate, not one of John McCain's colleagues apparently brought this issue up to the president? There's a lot of speculation about whether it would come up. And afterwards, kind of a shrugging of the shoulder, he wasn't going to change his, his position. Nobody brought it up. Well, I mean, I have to say I'm not terribly surprised. Um, I would say that that body and its members haven't shown a tremendous amount of courage in standing up for things that I think they maybe ought to have stood up for. Um, beyond that, John McCain didn't have a lot of friends in the Senate. I mean, he's, he's taken positions and, and engaged in fights, um, you know, including with Mitch McConnell over things like campaign finance reform. But he's fought his colleagues in a tough way and in a sort of a difficult way that John McCain, you'd expect John McCain would have over the years. So he's, you know, he's alienated some people. And I can understand uh, some, some of those sore feelings. I just don't think that I would have let it uh, keep me from asking the president why he's, why, why he's allowing this to happen, why he's, he's not apologizing or having at least have his staffer 
apologize for something that very clearly I think needs an apology. Thanks for joining me. The Daily Standard podcast is brought to you today by the Dollar Shave Club, which delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. They have everything you need to get ready in the bathroom. and it's, But it's more than just razors. This is an important point. Um, it You know, you... If, you, if you're looking for shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, even a wipe that will, well, let's say, deal with some of your sanitary issues, you don't have to go to the store. You don't have to wander around the aisles trying to pick out something that you uh, think that, uh, that, uh, um, <laughs> that, that you need. All of Dollar Shave Club's products are made with top-shelf ingredients that will not break your budget, and you will feel the difference, trust me. Plus, shipping is free with your membership. And here's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products. For just 5 bucks, you can get their Daily Essential Starter Set. That comes with Body Cleanser, these One Wipe Charlies, uh, their world-famous Shave Butter, and their best razor, the Six Blade Executive. Keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, and anything else you might need. And you can check it all out at the Dollar Shave Club dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly standard that is dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly standard thanks for listening to today's daily standard podcast i'm charlie sykes we'll be back again tomorrow